You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. Let's get get our hands in the soil. It's our outdoor living hour, third Saturday of the month. Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice is with us. Talking all things landscape and gardening at one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you if you'd like to join the conversation. You can send text questions to 411-923. Or send us an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. We do have the ability to monitor all of, the, all of those channels, even when we're live on location like we are today at Sanderson Ford for the 64th anniversary Hoot Nanny Sale. It, it's big time. I, 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 I'm in awe of these girls. <laughs> you know, I play We've, the guitar. I, well, to say I play the guitar is a real stretch. <laughs> I have one. I it have has strings guitar, on it. <laughs> and, and I can make it make some sounds once in a while. But, uh, oh, my gosh. What I didn't a, know What that. a gift that they have to be able to do that. And if you're just joining us, not all of our radio affiliates carry our 7 o'clock hour. Our intro music was performed live by the Arizona Wildflowers. It's a group of four sisters who play bluegrass music. They've got a mandolin, a fiddle, a guitar. We'll be hearing more uh, throughout the broadcast. And they're performing live here for two hours starting at 11 o'clock. And if you're in this part of town, you need to get here. It's something. They're great. Well, even if you're not in this part of town, well, you've got all yeah. day to get. There's nowhere in Arizona that you couldn't be here by Sanderson Ford by the end of this broadcast. There you go. Granted, you don't end up on a closed freeway for construction. <laughs> <laughs> they can't have construction on Easter weekend working, can they? <laughs> I don't know. I... Let's hope not. Let's, <laughs> Let's hope, hope not. Let's hope they're not making anybody work today. So what? Uh, where are we going to start in our lawns today? Wow, you know, it, it, we're in that where time now where it's warming up. Um, things are starting to change. We're going to start getting into that warm season stuff. The, you know, the, the the winter lawns are, you know, they're going to start fading here a little bit. The Bermuda grass is waking up. Um, in the low desert, you know, the the all that growth and wildflowers and stuff starting to maybe dry up a little bit. If if you've got weeds, they're probably getting pretty big if you haven't done anything about that. So lots of weed problems. This would be a great time to check your irrigation system. You know, we're talking 90-degree weather. You know, not terribly hot yet, but certainly we had all that rain and all that cool weather, which hopefully people turned their irrigation systems off. Now they need to be back on, and you need to make sure they're watering properly. So, you know, you need to get out there and turn them on manually. See them run. Make sure your sprinkler heads are functioning properly. Uh, you know, make sure the drippers are not shooting water into the neighbor's yard. Uh, make sure you don't have floods. Make sure the plants are getting water. Uh, you know, those things tend to, you know, get plugged up, get neglected, get broken. Dogs chew them up. Different things happen to them. So it's kind of like your air conditioning. You, you don't want to wait till the first 105-degree day to figure out it didn't work right. You want to make sure your irrigation system is working properly before it gets hot and those plants get stressed because they're not getting enough water. So that that would be a great task as we start to transition into needing some water from really having needed to water much all winter. A lot of confusion on lawns right now. now. I saw a couple emails come in this past week. People are wondering, my winter lawn, as you say, 
is kind of showing signs of wearing out. Right. The Bermuda is starting to green up. But I got some weeds interlaced in there a little right. bit. So how do I weed free my tiff or my Bermuda for the summer at this stage? Should I be fertilizing and letting the winter lawn go just a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. Or do I hit it with some weed yeah. killer? <clears throat> If you overseed it and you have a winter lawn and it's starting to maybe show some signs of transitioning, um, most of the weeds that we have are broadleaf weeds, and, and, and you can spray a herbicide on those that will not affect the grassy plants, you know, the rye grasses, the Bermuda grasses. That, you know, they're a different, different genetic makeup, so that you, can use a, you can use a herbicide on broadleaf weeds that won't affect grasses, whether it's rye or Bermuda, and I, I'm always an advocate of control those weeds the minute you see them. Pull them, you know, if you can, spray them, spot spray them, whatever you need to do, get those out of the way. This is also a great time to use a pre-emergent herbicide, which won't affect your Bermuda grass coming back. It only keeps seeds from, you know, the germination process that interrupts that. So spring and fall are great times to do that. Now, if you plant a winter lawn, you can't. You don't want to use a pre-emergent and keep your winter lawn from germinating, but this is a great time to do that because we will have things like spurge and as things warm up, a whole different set of weeds coming on. So, But control the weeds regardless of, of that. Now, now, we can pre-emerge with the liquid through a hose applicator that's kind of dyed so you know where you're spraying on the granite. Uh, right, what, on granite. What do you do for the lawn? A granular. Okay. Uh, there, are, there are some good granular herbicides. I like the ones that contain dimension because dimension will prevent spurge. And spurges are probably one of our most predominant, yeah, ornery, nasty weeds, especially if it's in a lawn. Of course, the best way to prevent weeds in your lawn is to have a good lawn. Yeah. A healthy, thick, lush lawn will, will choke out and prevent weeds in and of itself. So fertilizing, you talked about fertil- whether to fertilize or not fertilize yeah. if you're transitioning now. Um, one thing we don't want to do, we used to tell people to cut back on the water to kind of burn the, you know, that will stress your Bermuda grass that's underneath. Don't monkey with the water. What you want to do. The, probably, rye, the sun will take care of the rye grass. Well, it, time. you know, if you don't increase the water, what I recommend is just don't increase it. You know, if you've been watering, you know, or haven't been watering much, you, know, you want to water, but don't water enough to really keep the ryegrass luxuriant. Water about what you would water your Bermuda grass. And then lower your mowing heights. You know, start to, you know, maybe after this weekend, you've got people coming for Easter, you want the lawn to look good, but maybe after this weekend, if it's going to stay in the 90s, maybe get the lawn mower down a notch or two over the next few weeks. And I would probably not fertilize until you start to see some Bermuda grass now kicking uh-huh. in. Um, because you probably don't want to encourage that ryegrass um, to flourish a whole lot longer. And the broadleafs, I can, I can finish using my MSMA with a Harper's Nursery sticker on it from about 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you shake it up good. It's probably all settled down at the bottom. <laughs> Active ingredients. Uh, maybe. I'll well, put that on the shelf. I'm not even sure you can buy that anymore. I don't, think, I don't think you can. I've looked for it. Active ingredients may be clogged. Yeah, right, right. Now, 
I did not get a winter lawn in, and the kids remind me of that constantly. That is their favorite, the the soft grass lawn. Why don't we get a soft grass lawn in? Right. Um, what we used to do is we've got a birthday in May for mm-hmm. Tinley, and we would try and keep the winter lawn through the birthday in May, and then we've got Roxy's birthday in October, so then we would or in September, so we would try and keep the or the Bermuda almost till October. Well. I've almost got a beautiful green Bermuda right oh, now. Oh, <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't overseed, and I have the, hardly done anything. <laughs> and the advantage to not overseeding is that your Bermuda grass lawn will kick in a lot earlier, <laughs> and and it's been warm enough that existing Bermuda lawns are probably pretty greened up by now. And because I didn't put a winter lawn in, I didn't have the sprinklers on, and I just turned on the sprinklers last week. But with all the rain we got by yeah. itself and how moist everything had been yeah. in the mild spring. Maybe it was already green before I turned the water on. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and make any judgments whether you should put a winter lawn in or not put a winter lawn in. Um, I have my own personal feelings about that. But um, if you did not, you know, then your Bermuda has probably green. And then I would fertilize. If you didn't no. overseed, if you don't have ryegrass sitting there and your Bermuda is greening up, once it starts to green up, it's growing, you might, you ought to start fertilizing it. Uh, and we recommend, you know, about every 30 to 45 days that you that you fertilize Bermuda grass type grasses through the growing season. So, yeah, keep it well fed. Make sure your sprinklers are working properly because, you know, it doesn't take, you know, we get that first 100, 105 degree <laughs> day. If you've got a hot, what we call a hot spot where your sprinklers aren't covering right, um, it'll show up pretty fast. Um, so, you know, go through it, make that, make sure those sprinklers are working good. Now, to answer this question about weeds in your lawn, I would love it if weed and feed would work. Yeah, you know, if you look at the active ingredient in a weed and feed, and it's a convenient steal, but the amount of herbicide that's in those is so small that, in, you know, it, they're okay if you've got a spot, you know, a, a weed here and there. Yeah. But if you've got a weed problem, they are not the most effective way to go. Yeah. And you're paying a lot of money, typically, a premium for that combination. I, I'm more, much more an advocate of using a good fertilizer, and if you've got weeds, use a good herbicide to specifically attack those weeds. So getting back to that, yes, if you have weeds and you have a winter lawn or don't have a winter lawn, either one, you can find typically a, a, a weed killer that will specifically attack those weeds without affecting your lawn. I'm a big advocate. Take a sample. If you don't know, grab a weed, pull it up, put it in a plastic bag, and take it immediately to your local garden or nursery center and let them identify it. Tell them what kind of lawn it's growing in or where it's growing. Is it in rock? Is it in grass? Is it in a Bermuda lawn? Is it in something else? And they can they can hone you in on something that will work for you. And I, we have a lot of clients that want to know what to do about the spurge. And it seems like this spurge thing has kind of hit us in the last six or seven years. I don't know. I never remember seeing it like I have the last five yeah. years. It's been around a long time, but you're right. It's gotten real, really prevalent. I've seen, I've seen spurge out in the desert. Yeah. So a lot of our clients just live through it through the summer. Mm-hmm. and let the winter kill it off, and then 
hit it hard with pre-emergent yeah. two months ago in yeah. February. Yeah, the, the, the issue with Spurge is it's so it's such a prolific seed producer oh. that mowing that you that you know mowing it. If you'll notice the doves <laughs> yeah. in your yard are out there eating the seeds and then they spread the seeds everywhere. And, oh. Uh, so it it's it's a it gets us in a lot of ways, and the hotter and more humid it gets, the better it likes it. Ugh. So it 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 isn't something that I recommend you let linger too long. One way or the other, get rid of it. And if in your beautiful lawn and all the watering, you've got a couple, uh, maybe some shaded spots where you've got some pool water, or the mosquitoes are out there after you. Bonide's got you covered with mosquito beater, and it comes in a lot of different applications depending on what it is you're trying to to do if you've got a lawn you can hook up the ready to spray and just spray it right off wherever you can reach with that sprayer uh, trees lawns shrubs if you've got an area that you can't spray maybe it's underneath a deck or you've got uh, your wood pile out back you can bomb it with some foggers they've got a great fogging liquid as well they've even got soluble if you've got standing water somewhere you just drop it in there and it will kill the mosquitoes before they hatch you can find bonite's mosquito beater all over the state including treeland nursery in mesa summer winds nursery in glendale and mesquite valley growers in tucson bonite products are family made in america and if you've got a mosquito problem it's Mosquito Beater. Text question has come in. Homeowner looking for a water schedule for a mature ash trees. The number of gallons per hour, trunks and gravel, but the drip line is uh, a lawn gravel transition. Okay, so on the... Uh Water Use It Wisely website from AMWA. Uh, you can get the booklet at nurseries or you can go online. I think it's waterusitwisely.com. There's a watering guide. And if you take the, the drip line of that tree, the spread, there's a little chart. And it will tell you how many gallons of water. And then depending on what time of year it is, how frequently you need to apply that. And it's a great tool. Um, so you have to kind of measure your water, how fast you're watering, and know how many gallons an hour you're putting on um, underneath the whole drip area of that tree, and you can calculate how much it needs and how frequently it needs it. I can tell you, with an ash tree, once it gets hot, you can hard, you're not going to be able to overwater an ash tree <laughs> come summertime, <laughs> especially in gravel. Um, but uh, but go to that tool, and that's a great tool for everybody as we start to ramp up into the change of seasons, waterusitwisely.com, and check out their their uh, watering guidelines and the schedule. It's just way easier than trying to tell somebody uh, over the phone or over the air how to water and how fast to water and how often to water. You just got to do it that way. And when you get that manual and you're going through it, it'll talk about the different soil types and you know how deep you need that water to get because 10 gallons an hour on this type of soil versus 10 gallons an hour on that type of soil can be completely different. Correct. So in, in what they're basing, you know, for trees, you're going to want to get the water down about three feet deep. So it's going to look like, you know, I mean, people just it kind of blows their mind that, hey, you need to water, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 hours. 
to water a big tree like that. Now, you don't have to do that every day or every other day. It can go five to seven days, ten days maybe in the summertime. But you got to get the water down deep. You can't, you know, once if it's shallow, it, it dries out quickly. The roots stay shallow. The tree gets stressed easily. And then you have all kinds of problems. It drives me nuts when I see a tree that's mature and it's got a well that's still the same size as when they planted it. Yeah. My, my neighbor, I drive past their home every day. Like one day, I'm just going to get a shovel and go over there and make a new tree. Or well just get rid of the well. And if you, you don't even need a tree well, you know, if you water slow enough, the water doesn't, you know, it doesn't need something to contain it. Just let it. Only water as fast as it will soak in is what I tell people. Just you know, watch the water. If you're if you're getting water that's running all over the place, slow it down. Let it just soak in, and then and then look at the wet spot. Once that water soil has gotten saturated, the wet spot will start moving. And once the wet spot is as big as the canopy of the tree, you've probably watered well enough. And it will take hours to do that, not minutes. So get the minutes thing out of your head. You know, It's hours, <laughs> on, not minutes. On my to-dos is replacing my irrigation timer. We've got a couple weeks left of rodeos here, and after that I'll start you know, using the summer to start whittling through, but they are so good now. My, I mean, they're they're just so flexible, and you can do so many things. I finally did. My, I finally replaced my thirty. You did. Yeah, <laughs> yep. This winter, uh, my brother was doing so. I said, you know what? Let's. It, it's time. I mean, it was working did, fine, but did you keep the old one for and like mount it? You know, I should have. <laughs> Put I, it in a landscape irrigation museum somewhere. Yeah, I should have. I don't think we did, but um, it's there. So anyway, I interrupted you there. You were, oh. My point was because mine's broken, I just turn the valve on when I leave and I turn it off when I get home. It'll yeah. be on 12, 15 well, hours. you know, there, we probably watered better before we had irrigation timers because we did do that. You had a – remember the sprinkler keys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you went out there with the long-handled key and you stuck it down. Your valves were in a – usually they put a piece of 3-inch PVC. A little rainbird edge with had, a little – you turn Cross the valve on, on and <laughs> and you and you let it run a long time, and then you remembered, oh doggone, the water's running, <laughs> and you had to go turn that valve off and turn the next one on. Jay, my neighbor has the exact same apparatus in her front yard, and she never changed it. Still has one. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, was that from the '60s? You think? Yeah. Oh yeah, '60s. So, yeah. Yeah, early 70s, we were still using them. Everybody carried a little, they had a little short-handled version. If you were in the business, you carried one of those around. Some guys wore them on their belt, you know, so when they got to a house, they could turn the turn the sprinklers on, you know. The old brass pop-up heads. Brass heads, a champion brass yeah. heads, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they've changed a little bit since then. Just a little. You know, now they've got these uh, MP rotator heads, you know, low-volume heads where that you know it'll it puts the water on and they they're like fingers they kind of rotate and the wind doesn't affect them and they're very efficient you got to let them run differently but they're really a, a great way to go Charles on the house with you every saturday morning it's eight o'clock our outdoor living hour if you've got a landscaper gardening question one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three or email info at rosie on the house.com
music this morning is being performed live by the Arizona Wildflowers. Generally a four-piece band. This is only two of them right now. One fiddle and one guitar. On the fiddle, we have Aspen. And Aspen's eight years old. How old are you, Aspen? Seven. 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 And on the guitar was Rennell. 10 years old. And Renell, you've gone back and forth between uh, the guitar and the fiddle, and there's a mandolin over there. Which one of those is your favorite? How do you decide when you're playing music in the morning? Or do you just, whatever you feel like that day? Whatever I feel like. <laughs> now, I've always wondered this. People that can play music like that, do you ever listen to other music? Yes. So who's your favorite fiddler? I like Texas Shorty and Matthew Hartz. Very good ones. Good choices. That, the fiddle is probably my favorite. Uh, you know, you've got Cajun music isn't Cajun without a fiddle. And you've got some country music at, that, you know, until it, it, you add that fiddle to it. You ever listen to the Turnpike Troubadours? I don't you think know? I have. Okay. Well, I'll have to play a few of those for you. They, they've got a fiddler in there that just, it makes all the difference in the world to me. We appreciate y'all being here live at Sanderson Ford for the 64th anniversary Hoot Nanny Sale. Are you pay, posting pictures of these girls on Facebook? I don't. I don't think the listeners believe we've got a seven and a nine-year-old playing the fiddle and the guitar here live. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Yeah. When you add up the Ari- age of Aris- all four Arizona wildflowers, <laughs> right? Yep. Arizona wildflowers. When you add up the age of all four in the band, uh, it, it would probably get close to half of the 64-year anniversary we're celebrating here today. At, <laughs> it may. At not Sanderson not even. I, mean, I don't think it'd get that high. Yeah. You know, the, the, the landscape industry used to have a gentleman who was part of the landscape business who was the Arizona State fiddling champion, Russell Burris. I don't know if you remember that name many, many years ago, but uh, he was quite a, quite a fiddler. Russell Burris. Mm-hmm. I, I know of the, the. I know a Burris. I wonder if they're related. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, we are talking landscaping, believe it or not, <laughs> with Jay Harper of the Farms Choice, and we mentioned fertilizer before right. and different types of granulars and applications. Right. Um, you know, we, when we we often talk organics, we often talk local, and uh, I think the Farms Choice is, is about as both of those as you can get. <laughs> It is, yeah. It's local and organic. Um, Farms Choice is a is a the fertilizer division of the Hickman's family farms, which most people that are from around here know about Hickman's and their eggs, and uh, uh, supply a lot of eggs to a lot of the whole southwestern United States. And even if you go to the grocery store and you don't buy Hickman's labeled. Eggs. It, it still They're probably still came from <laughs> private yeah, label. For, private <laughs> labeling for a lot of people, and uh, and and so you know, obviously chickens, you know, they make manure, and we've got to do something with that. So it makes a great organic manure, and we, we're very prideful in in how we handle the manure. It, you know, a lot of people just think it's manure. Well, we we think it's a valuable product, and we treat it that way, and we have products that are processed and, and pathogen free that can be used on edible greens and vegetables by our Yuma uh, leafy greens growers, by our citrus growers, our date growers, our pecan growers. And, and just the same way you can use them, you know, in your home and garden and on your lawn and landscape. 
So great sustainable product, good for the soil, good for the plants, and it's local to boot. Can't beat that. It's a great tie-in yep. altogether. Uh, plenty of text questions that have come in, lots of emails that have come in. Um, weeds. We talked about it in the lawn, but I think in general, real quick, pre-emergent, uh, post-emergent, there. if you didn't get a handle, we've got a couple on the back side of the property that are burning up. I mean, it's just right. uh well, the, you go out there and sneeze hard enough, and I'm just afraid they're going to go up in flames. <laughs> so if you if you live, especially if you live out, you know, on the transition of the desert or you know rural areas, you know, make sure you're knocking, you know, get the weed eater out and start knocking that stuff down, get it out away from your property line, you know, so that you have, you know, at least some defensible space. Um, there are we. It may be as high a, a cover of grasses weeds out in the desert as i've ever seen um there are places it's you know several feet deep and and uh you know we need to make sure get a handle on that because uh you know we're going to get dry and and you know things happen and that stuff's combustible and it burns very fast so you know and in the same way goes if they're in your landscape there's a lot of you know people with gravel landscapes that didn't use pre-emergent that stuff is up the problem is once it starts burning up and, and drying up, it's also gone to seed. Mm-hmm. And that seed falls to the ground, and it's just going to come back next year or, you know, the following Two years year. Two years or three years. It'll lay there a long time. Look at our wildflowers. You haven't seen wildflowers for years. Get a little rain, boom, there they are. That seed can stay in, in that soil and be viable for a long, long time. So using a pre-emergent herbicide, I'd say, you know, spring and fall. You need to do it a couple times a year. If you've got gravel, you can spray it on. If you've got lawn, you can, you know, put it on with a, you know, spreader, a granular application. It just saves you so much time. There are so many other things. If you like to garden, there's so many other things that are more fun to do <laughs> than <laughs> garden in the landscape than pull weeds or rake weeds or, you know, spray weeds or whatever. So um, use that pre-emergent. It's also, you know, it's it's easier to use. It's just got a lot of pluses to it. And if you don't like to garden, you'll have more time to golf. You know, so. <laughs> uh, we talked about the transition from lawn, we're going from a rye to a Bermuda. And this whole uh, texture's in Mesa on flood irrigation. Okay. And wants to know how do you manage that transition and when to do it on a, if you're on flood. Well, take your flood ir- irrigation when you're going to get your flood irrigation and just mow that lawn shorter. Um, as that rye grass, you know here in the next 30 days, or I kind of let Mother Nature tell me, you know, when the, when it starts to look like it's thinning out, burning up, browning out, just take that lawnmower down another notch. When it starts doing a little, take it down another notch. Did it to where probably, you know, around Mother's Day or between Mother's Day and Memorial Day, you basically have scalped the lawn just like you when you did to put your winter lawn in. And you know, then the heat will usually just take care of it. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a perfect transition. It can take, and then, you know, if May cools off, it seems like it seems like what's happened. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we stay cooler into yeah, May, nice in, 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 and and it seems like now we stay cooler into May and June, and we stay hotter into October and November. I didn't know if that was just me. It seems I, I, it just seems that way. Now it this fall we had a I agree we had a pretty typical fall, but um, 
so that it makes that transition of that Bermuda grass uh, a little more difficult. And then uh, you mentioned that you have a birthday in, you know, September or whatever. I, part of our problem with transition is we do our ryegrass too early. It really shouldn't happen until at least the middle of October, maybe even nowadays, first of November, middle of November, um, for homeowners. That, you know, for golf courses, a whole nother deal. But <laughs> for homeowners, don't put it in till it's the nights have cooled off, and then once we start to transition, force the transition, but not by drying up or holding back water. We want to do it by mowing lower and then dethatching. Getting that canopy opened up so those Bermuda grass uh, rhizomes and roots and the stems that are starting to grow and the, from the Bermuda grass can get some sunlight and some heat on them. So get that Bermuda grass out of the way, or the ryegrass out of the way, so the Bermuda can start growing. <laughs> and my guess would have to be that even though this person's on flood, they have to have something else they're watering with to even get that winter grass in to begin with well to germinate the winter grass to get the seed to come up perhaps unless they do it late enough um, in the year they can they can probably do it that way could but the transition should actually be easier because they're not frequently watering the ryegrass probably will burn up more quickly if you're going 13 days or so between irrigations once it starts to warm up that that ryegrass probably going to stress out pretty fast now someone said they heard pre-emergent isn't safe for animals well i certainly wouldn't put it on and let my dogs and cats ride out there on the grass the nice thing about pre-emergent is you have to water them in they have to get down in the soil to be effective and to be activated you can't just put pre-emergent even if you spray it on you got to go back over with water water. and water it in so you are getting the pre-emergent in theory if you water it in good enough there shouldn't be any way for your pets to contact it yeah. And then we've got somebody that's dealing with fungus gnats. Is yeah. that two different things, or is that a fungus gnat? Well, fungus gnats are the little, you know, if you get a house plant sometimes, and, and those little black gnats come out of the soil, they typically are breeding in organic material. So we see them most often in house plants. They love organic material. That's where they breed. And usually it's because they're staying too wet. So those little black bugs that fly out of the horses when we're cleaning the stalls, that's a fungus gnat? Most likely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in that organic, wet organic material breeding. Best way to do that is to obviously clean up or spread the stuff out so it dries out. Or if you've got them in house plants, maybe take them outside once in a while. Let them get dried out. Don't keep them too wet. Repot them and maybe some potting soil that, that will be a little better drained. Sometimes if it doesn't drain well and they stay too wet. Can fruit do that too? We, we kind of thought maybe our house, we don't have house plants. So we have those little gnats everywhere. Yeah. We've been leaving the doors open with this beautiful weather. Yeah. Those little black buggy things And if you're, in a, if it, you're a wine drinker, they get in your glass of wine. Okay. <laughs> they like that sweet stuff, huh? My, my wife has to keep a little <laughs> coaster on top of her wine glass. Or they get... <laughs> Could it be the, the orange trees, though, like Could as be. they fall? Citrus, we try to keep it picked up. Citrus laying on the ground. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Fungus gnats, nasty little things. And, yeah, we even though we, I mean, we clean it and spread it every day, but yeah. I mean, they're, they're very prolific. One thing I've heard works is diatomaceous earth. If, you spread, uh, mm-hmm. if you've got potted plants and you put some of that in there, the grittiness of that 
will help control them. I suppose to some degree it helps dry things out as well. We use DE uh, on anything that's still wet when we after we're done cleaning installs, mm-hmm. um, oats, and just regular bird seeds. If you add it into their feed, you know the birds, birds figure that out, out and they come and, and spread, and spread through the manure. But still, my dad, <laughs> my dad used to put grain, a little bit of grain, in all the feed, horse feeders because then the, that would the birds would just come and. Well, that's smart. And, uh, do you have to use food grade diatomaceous earth? I never really know what that food grade part meant. Like when you do the diatomaceous earth, is that so that the horses are sniffing around and stuff that that won't bother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you can even put it on their feed, the horse grade stuff, so it's actually in yeah. being processed mm-hmm. through. So there's a, a lot of different ways. And we just get it 50-pound sacks at the mm-hmm. feed store, and it's this huge white powder, and you get done with it, and you think someone's been baking cookies all morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it brushes off. If you're dealing with insects in your vegetable garden and you're looking for an organic way to keep them out, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew from our friends at Bonide is an all-organic compound that it comes in a variety of different ways. You come ready to spray. You attach it to the end of your hose. It's, uh, you can get it concentrate or you can get just a straight spray bottle. Whatever the application you may need to get it uh, done, the, what we found great is the ready-to-spray ones are good for the trees to get up on top where we can't reach on our citrus trees. Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew, you can actually apply it and eat your vegetables the same day. It is that organic. Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew can be found all over the state, including Treeland Nurseries in Mesa, Summer Winds in Phoenix, or Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson. You can also get it at Bonide com and see their complete line of products for lawn and garden care. Bonite products are family made in America. If you're looking for an organic way to handle your vegetables. So to answer the question, why aren't we having the Arizona wildflowers every intro? We're not. They're playing for two hours at eleven. We're trying to not burn them out. <laughs> so we'll give them a little break here and there, but we will have live music uh, scattered throughout the. They're over there shopping the for trucks, is what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna have such bright careers. They're gonna be able to own raptors and expensive trucks i'm sure well i hope so it's a great uh, great local story out of casa grande arizona a family of seven uh four of them currently play in the band they uh, and I, I hear the fifth one the four-year-old brother occasionally will come up at the end of her performance and uh kind of like a young donny Os- you're too young to remember remember when donny osmond used to come out when the osmond <laughs> <laughs> and here's Donnie. <laughs> I am, but there was another one, Hunter, Hunter something that used to come out for Hank Williams. Oh. Who plays now? Hunter, Hunter Hayes. Hunter Hayes, oh, thank from, you. From Brobridge, my hometown. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then there's a two-year-old in the family, and they're not oh sure gosh. yet. Wow. <laughs> well, probably unavoidable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine growing up in a house like that and not. Yeah. But there's always a black sheep somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> How would you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we've got our final segment here in the Outdoor Living Hour. A ton of questions that have, you know how when you start a conversation, they just snowball. and uh, A lot of questions about lawns and transitionings, a lot of questions about weeds. Somebody's got Bermuda grass growing in a wood pile, and they're trying to figure out how to get rid of the grass out of the wood pile. I think I would just tell them, move the wood pile and then nuke the area if they're trying uh, to get it. That's probably the best. <laughs> that, that probably makes sense. Or... <clears throat> 
take a big sheet of clear visqueen plastic and just tent the whole. Because you're probably not going to need to burn for <laughs> right. Well, it six also months. it also if you have any uh, any insects in the wood pile, it would kill those too. So you could you could solarize it, <clears throat> perhaps if you didn't. I, I certainly wouldn't be spraying weed killer in on my wood that I might end up putting in my fireplace and burning. But uh, <laughs> so I probably would either move it or tent it and and uh, kind of solarize it. Solarize that that Bermuda. Once those roots take hold, that's a hard. Well, it's tough stuff. Wow. Uh, you know, it, it, that that's that's become the issue. You know, of course, there's the. The, you know the, the whole roundup issue that whether whatever the side of the fence you're in on that but when it comes to bermuda grass man there just are not a whole lot of other ways that are very effective to get rid of it now the application i'm fighting we've got the lawn and there's a concrete curb that mm-hmm. contains the lawn mm-hmm. well the bermuda grass now is coming out on the other side sure and growing <laughs> and, you know the roots mm-hmm. have gone underneath the concrete yep. curb and they're out could you hit that the pesticide without it affecting the lawn on the inside. What, How, what might how happen, intricate is that root system? Yeah, it, it, it depends. But you you might get a little bit of trace back into that. But I, I don't think it would be that significant. Okay. It seems to be a good enough survivor that it, it Exactly. <laughs> it's going to fill back in pretty fast. Uh, Bermuda grass. It's, it's a love-hate relationship. And, and you know... <laughs> Use some common sense when you're spraying, whether it's Roundup or anything. You know, if it's there's the slightest little breeze, you would be amazed at how far this stuff can drift. You 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 sometimes just do yourself a favor and have somebody spray some stuff and stand back so that the rays of the sunlight are just right, and watch how far those little misty particles drift and drift. So wear long sleeves, wear long pants. Don't go out there and spray. Any of this stuff. In your flip-flops and your swim flip-flops trunks. And your swim trunks and your muscle shirt, your tank top. Um, you know, have even wear sunglasses or glasses and, you know, cover up and, and spray. And wash things out good and, you know, be responsible. That's most of the problems we have with <laughs> most of our issues with pesticides and chemicals are the fact that they've got misused. Either mixed too strong, used too frequently, used inappropriately, used on things they shouldn't be used on, wrong time. You know, all of that stuff. Follow the directions and use common sense when you're doing that stuff. Somebody not paying attention. Oh, this is a 500-gallon water tank, so I'm going to pour in this whole jug. Well, well no, that was a 200-gallon tank. He just completely <laughs> over-concentrated your mix. Now mm-hmm. what are you going to do with it? And we spray it. I you know, we're spray spraying it. a tree up in the air, and the wind's blowing. It's falling back on us and on our bare skin, those kinds of things. So, it, it, you know, even if you're spraying things that are, quote, unquote, safe to use, soaps and things like that, you know, it's still not good for you to breathe that stuff in and have it fall and make contact with your bare skin. So use common sense, please. And what are we at? We're kind of in the end of April planting-wise for gardening. We're getting close to okra, still not yet. We can do okra Getting close now. to melons. I think you can always definitely do melons and okra for sure, squashes, cucumbers, melons. No, it's it's not too early for any of that stuff. Eggplant is another heat lover. So You have to like eggplant. Well, I kind of do. I do mean, you? if it's fixed right, yeah. You know, That's an acquired egg, taste eggplant, I have yet to acquire. Eggplant parmesan is pretty good. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, so eggplant, squashes, melons, um, okra. Okra, it can't get too hot for that. So. That's the only thing that stays alive in the garden through, through July at our house. Basil. Basil loves the heat, so there's some herbs you can do. Herbs, herbs, basil. Rosemary, basil. Add that to the list. Oh, rosemary's incredible. We've got one that we grew off of a piece that was clipped out of a grandma's farm in California that's still growing in our yard in Whitman. Yeah. <laughs>